0: I think we've got to talk about this. A new Dell XPS Ubuntu edition has shipped, and I have a ton of respect for what our friends over at Dell have done with the Sputnik line. And I understand that they're just kind of revalidating and rebadging an existing product. You know, There is an XPS 13 for Windows. But the XPS 13 Plus Developer Edition has what they call a new radical look. And it seems that Dell's design team is about four years behind Apple. We've got what is essentially a butterfly chiclet keyboard, the function row has been replaced by touch LED lights. There's no escape key. And it has two ports, USB-C, both.
1: Why? I think it was well proven that these things were not helpful for anyone. Why, why, I wonder what the meeting room was like that day.
0: Right. After years of Apple getting grief from MacBook customers about the touch bar and getting rid of the escape key, and then them specifically, after years, reverting those changes. And just as they do that, Dell comes out with this. And I, I don't get it because it also feels like now is the worst time to mess this kind of thing up in this product category. Dell essentially helped create part of this category with the Sputnik line, along with others like System76. It was their game to lose. They, had the lar- they were the largest OEM. They were one of the best options for enterprises that wanted an Ubuntu, Ubuntu system. And with this, it feels like they're just seeding their market to their competitors with the Dev One and the new Lemur and other laptop, like lots of Linux laptops now, some directly from distributions.
2: Is this maybe a signal that even with the seemingly good support that, you know, the community has shown for, for adopting Sputnik, for, you know, doing reviews, for talking about it on entertainment and educational shows... That it's still a relatively small signal compared to whatever signals they think, you know, the folks who are setting the direction for this whole line are receiving up the chain. Because as you say, right, like the good side of this is they're committed to making a Linux version of what they're selling. The bad side is it doesn't seem like what Linux users might want is exactly factoring up into what that product looks like.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Les. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Coming up on the show today, we're going to take a sleeper distro, maybe you've heard of but never really looked at, packed full of modern Linux technologies, even though it has kind of a more traditional long-term support release cycle. And it is also the final distribution in our summer of immutable Linux journey. And it is fittingly endless OS. An old friend is going to join the show in a little bit and go deep into Endless OS with us. Plus, today is the day we are pulling names from our JPL hat to determine who is actually going to join us for our JPL tour. Then we'll round out the show with some boosts, some picks, and a lot more. So before we go any further, let's say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Good morning. Hello, Hello,
3: guys. Hey, Brenton. Hey, Wes.
0: Hello, you guys. Hello, hello. Great to see you in there. Plus, I think... A record setter for our quiet listening room in weeks as we transition our mainstream over to our PeerTube instance at jupyter.tube. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, you know what I want? I want a high quality Opus stream that's super low latency. And they go get Mumble. And then you have Mumble set up for other stuff as well. So welcome in, everybody. Also, a big good morning to TailScale. Our friends over at TailScale.com have created a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard's noise protocol. It's like peak WireGuard implementation. The kind of thing you hoped somebody would build when we first started talking about WireGuard. It's here, and it's a game changer. Go build a mesh network just for yourself using TailScale. Go say good morning and get it for free up to 20 devices at TailScale.com. So this week, Gnome launched a new telemetry program to help, quote, improve Gnome. We've talked about data collection before on the show with mixed opinions, I think, from the virtual lug and from your hosts. Gnome has created this tool directly. It's not pre-installed on any distribution or with any version of Gnome. It collects your Linux distro and its version, obviously, uh, your hardware, OEM, model, CPU, etc., that it can kind of grok from the system. It checks to see if you have Flatpak, and if you do, if Flathub is enabled. It looks to see what applications in Gnome are pinned to the dock, you know, your favorites in Gnome. It checks to see what Gnome extensions you have installed. I think we should come back to that. And it checks to see what your default browser is. It's called Gnome Info Collect. And it's out there right now for anyone who wants to grab it and run it on their own system. They've got SUSE packages available, Arch package available, Fedora package available, and a Snap available. I don't know. I'm curious to know what you think, guys. But this seems to me like perhaps the best compromise we have seen yet of this information collected. It's voluntary. You have to go get it yourself. In the download page where you go to get it, they tell you what they're collecting. Wes, you gave it a go before the show.
2: I did. Although, you know, I thought I'd try to be a little bit of a troll and try it out on a Plasma system. It was too smart for that, though. So, yeah, no dice. You got to run it from a GNOME system. But it's super simple. I really like that. It's just a little Python app. They do ask for some help getting it packaged. So if those are skills you have, maybe go take a look. But it's really easy to run. It doesn't have a ton of dependencies. And, of course, it's all open source, seemingly including the bits that run the server. Oh, that's an interesting observation. I wasn't aware of that. I noticed it's not
0: yet packaged for Nix. Though I think someone in our, our Nix nerds Matrix chat room did create a flake for it, right? Looking at you, Kenji. <laughs> that's great, Kenji. Thank you. Brent, how do you feel about this stuff? I know you're probably one of the more privacy-conscious ones on the show. This is pretty voluntary. It doesn't come pre-shipped, although I actually think it'd be more beneficial if it did. And at the end of the Gnome Setup Wizard, it asked you to collect this info because you're going to get such a tiny skewed demo that downloads and tries this, but is this just the compromise we have to make? Well, I think
1: having a choice is actually really refreshing. Uh, we've talked about this several times in the past, I think, but to have it be you know, written in a language and be open source, so at least if you're really interested, you can go see what's happening, uh, and that they're so upfront about what's being collected, I think is really helpful. And that, to me, even feels like, okay, well, if that's what they're looking for, I could see from a developer's point of view, how useful that might be for them to target certain systems and certain applications and user interfaces and stuff like that. So I think it's really just the, the transparency that's helpful. If you if you know what they're collecting and you think it's helpful and you want to help in that way, and that's a good way for you to help, then yeah, I don't see why this is harmful in any way. So I would I would say, let it be a choice and ma- let them be upfront about it in the installer
0: too. It's helpful. I am almost hesitating to really say this, but it's happening as Gnome becomes feature complete or they settle on the features they want to support. Doesn't it seem natural that they would look towards extensions and what extensions their community are using the most and then seeing if they have a way they could just safely build that into Gnome itself. And so one of the things that jumped out at me on this is they're checking to see what extensions are installed on a Gnome system. And I think that could be a significant data point for them. In my personal opinion, I think for a long time, there's been a culture of underplaying extensions for some of the GNOME developers. And so getting data like this, where you're going to see there is some consistent extensions. And I can just tell this is, you know, I've been using GNOME very consistently since GNOME 3.12. I took a break for a little while, but came back around 3.12 and I've always had it on some of my systems since then. And you can tell if anybody who's been running it for this long, you can look at the extension page. You can see what developers update after a GNOME release. You can sort by popularity. You get an idea of which ones are getting feedback. And you can tell some of those extensions are probably on like 80% of GNOME systems out there. They're just maybe pre-installed by a a distro maker. So it'd be great for them to get that signal.
2: And you gotta appreciate that, you know, of course, like all open source projects, Gnome has limited time and resources. So I I like how they've framed some of this data collection around like, how much should we be investing in static workplaces? Are are people using them? Now, obviously there's some issues around folks with installs that aren't gonna configure this and how this all plays out, but it seems reasonable to sort of say, like, hey. This is an easy way for you to help shape the future of the software you're using.
0: There's also the possibility that somebody like me who does like static workspace on my secondary screens and a moving workspace on my on my main screen. That's been working really well for me. Maybe I'm the only person that uses that. And so they decide by the data they're going to take that away. And I'll be sad. So I should prepare myself for that kind of thing.
2: Go install it on more systems, maybe.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'll go, yeah, I'll go spin up 30 VMs. <laughs> uh, Dan, you were pointing out that Plasma is doing something similar as well, right?
3: Uh, yeah, they have the K-user feedback thing that is incorporated.
0: So I, I think, you know, I probably knew that, but I think I just totally forgot about K-user feedback. But I'm glad. I'm glad they have it.
3: Yeah, it's set to disable by default, but you can increase the amount of information you want to give them.
0: I'm all for it. You know, volunteer the information you want on the systems you don't want on the grid. Don't don't install these tools. Don't use these tools. It's
2: a really nice compromise. Uh, Kenji brought up a, another point that's worthwhile, I think maybe is, are we going to get to see these stats down the road? So like all the stuff to collect it is open, but what kind of, is it going to be just internal to the GNOME team or is it going to be published in some way? I didn't see any answers about that, although I didn't do a ton of searching admittedly. That's a great question.
0: I hadn't even thought of that. I'd like to know. Why not? I bet they will. I'll read through. I'll read through their uh, uh, GitHub post and see if they say it. I actually don't remember, recall them addressing it, but it looks like you know if the end's open source. They're being really transparent about all of this. I wouldn't be too surprised if we see that. Now we're doing a little cleaning right here at the top of the show, so we got some housekeeping for you. Big updates for our West Coast meetups. The venues are in and. With a little bit of planning, it turned out that we're going to breweries for all of them. It's a brewery tour, and they're (laughs) all incredible. Every single venue looks fantastic. And this is a big thank you to our West Coast crew. Our Matrix Room helped my wife, Adia, narrow down all of the best possible venues. So, if you're in Southern Oregon area, and I hope even nearby, if you're in the Sacramento area, if you're in the Southern California area, if you're in the Portland area, we got meetups for you. We've got swag ordered. We have geocaches. We'll be deploying. It's getting really set up, guys. And I've been working for about three weekends straight on just getting Jupe's road ready. She's going to be looking sharp when you see her. She'll she'll be nearby at some of these places. So go sign up. We need to know if you're coming or not so we can start telling the venues how many people to expect. Meetup.com/slash jupiter broadcasting for that and then get in that west coast crew chat room that's bit.ly slash west coast crew it's pretty easy
2: i thought it should be west coast crew with no t but you know i got outvoted
0: yeah get get the west crew in there you know get the west crew representing i feel like that might be the uh the nix nerds chat room i bet they're a bunch of uh oh maybe i bet they're a bunch of west fans <laughs> All right, well, so now before we get into our, our main topic today, we've been waiting weeks to pull the names out of the hat to see who will go to JPL. Wes has run the scripts. All right, here we go. Coming in right now. We have a chosen few. I'll just, I'll say first names, but we'll be reaching out via email as well. Michael J, you are in. Fern, you are in. Valdol? Why you got to do me like that? You're in. AJS, you're in. Greg, you are in. Oliver T. is in. Anyone, Andrew, you're in. Joshua M. is in. Bloodpath, you're in. <laughs> <Nice
2: one>. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to telling JPL that Bloodpath will be attending. That'll be good. This is what we got when we allowed handles for submissions. <laughs> but it seems okay. natural for our community.
0: Mikey G., you are in. Tyler L., you are in. Eric P., you are in. Jonathan M., you are in. David H., you are in, and Mr. Optimus Gray is in. We have uh, a few others we may be reaching out to directly as well, because I didn't see uh, Jeremy's name in this list, but we do have a slot for uh, listener Jeremy who wrote in too. Oh, yeah, these were just the ones that were, uh, you know. Right, rando picked Mm -hmm. right there. Boom. Very good. Congratulations, everybody. Thank you so much for signing up, and we hope to see you there. Well, you better come. Because you committed. But you are the chosen
2: few. You check the box. If you, if you can't, just know, no hard feelings, just let us know as soon as you find that out. We've got some reserve names that we will draw from in the event that happens. Yep. So
0: if you didn't hear your name called, you are probably then on the reserve list. That was neat. That worked out really well. Again, we used our, our uh, NextCloud instance to do this. So it's all using a free software stack. And then uh, Wes used some tools we'll talk about in a little bit in the show to sort of sort everything out and uh, parse it. But there you go. Oh my gosh, that's a big moment. We actually have our list of JPL tour attendees. It's real. It's real now. And I got an email from Tim a couple days ago, which I got to get back to that said, uh, hey, what's your schedule?
2: <laughs> hey, when are you to down here? Oh,
0: so, we had, to get, we had to get this done, right? We had to figure this out. So, we got it figured out, and hopefully we got it with enough time everybody can get their travel plans in. But like Wes said, if you can't, you can contact the show, linuxunplugged.com slash contact, or reach out to myself or Wes, and let us know when we can slot someone else in on that list. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support this show. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible. It's fast and reliable. It's the best hosting in the business. Real humans every day can help you, and it's what we've used for every project we've built and deployed in the cloud for nearly three years now. It's really powerful. It's fast. 11 data centers around the world. And they have an interface that everyone on our team can interact with at their own skill level. Like you can use backend automation tools, which I really appreciate. Or you can use their really simple cloud dashboard, their API, their command line tool. There's a lot there. And it's made it really possible for us to work collaboratively on this new website that, yeah, we're deploying on Linode. Where else would we deploy something like this? And of course, Linode also has that S3 compatible object storage that object storage, which I just absolutely love. You put it all together with the performance, the support, and then it really seals the deal with the pricing. They're 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers out there, but better than that, guys. This is the model you want. This is the model where you get a Linux box, where you can SSH into a Linux box, and you actually get root access, and you can control the system, right? The hyperscalers... It's all abstracted away from you with their esoteric language and their esoteric names and their esoteric interface. And God, I like saying esoteric because it's so true for those different, I don't know, I'll just call them hyperscalers. I won't start swearing, but you know how I feel about it. Like, that is not the future that I want to see. I mean, I'm glad that's a product for some people, but I want Linux systems that I can get access to. I can install the packages, I can manage. That's my infrastructure. And that's the model Linode is continuing to make awesome and excellent. And they're doing it with the best performance, the best support, and 11 data centers for you to choose from. Go build something, go learn something, try it for yourself and support the show. That $100 really lets you try it. Linode.com slash unplugged. One more time, go support the show and try it out. Linode.com slash
2: unplugged.
1: Back home, baller. Damn straight, y'all.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's time for some baller boosts. First up from T. Cario. With 30,000 Satoshis.
3: Cause I'm a back home baller. If I want something, I just holler.
2: A longtime listener crashed your mumble server at one time with emojis. Hey, ouch. Hey T- now. T-Cario, but thanks for owning up to it anyway. <laughs> just want to say thanks for putting this together week after week. It's been a great journey. And this is the one podcast I have always looked forward to for years now. Keep it real. Hey, Aww. you keep it real, Cario. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, TC. That's amazing. Your baller
0: boost also helped put us on one of the uh, top boosted uh, lists for the Fountain.fm podcast player. So thank you very much. We didn't get a ton of boost this week, but this was this
2: definitely uh, this made up for it. So thank you very much. We got the boost that mattered. Speaking of, here's a boost from our friend Gene Bean with 13,370 sats. Because I'm back home. Oh, uh, you might be interested in this one, Chris. Gene Bean writes, I think I've found a good meetup.com alternative. He does note you can hit him up on Matrix if you want some more details, but the short version, I asked around on the Fostodon Mastodon server and got a lot of good feedback about Mobilizon? Mil- I don't know how to say that. Mobilizon! And a few other services, though. Mobilizon seemed like the best fit for your guys' possible needs. I did a little bit of time looking into this, and it looks like it's a free, libre, and open-source software set maintained by the same folks behind Peertube, uh, Framasoft. What? Really? Oh, lovely. How do we not know about this? I wonder if it's like a play on mobilization. I think it's French, so I'm sure I, A, said it wrong, and B, we're missing several layers of nuance. Mobilization. Oh. oh, Brent knows it.
1: Yes, I do. I have the, uh, the French tongue.
0: I got to say, I've legit never heard of this. I've heard of some of the others, like Get Together and whatnot. Never seen this. So this is super interesting. I
2: really appreciate that. I will definitely take a look at that. Have you guys ever heard of this one? No, but it's got a a nice website and um, yeah, it might be be worth a look.
0: That's great. Well, thank you very much. If you'd like to send us a boost, you can get a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. What we're doing now is we're splitting now the uh, the baller boosts uh, from the uh, regular boosts, I guess. We we appreciate all of them. But what we're doing is for the last half of the show, towards the end of the show, we're going to pivot to just boost quality. The signal is what we'll choose for which boost make it into the show. So we have a special spot to thank the people who are helping support the show directly with the baller boost. And then later on in the show for the feedback section, uh, any boost is welcome. It just has to uh, meet a certain threshold of signal, I suppose. I don't, that, I don't want to make that sound
2: bad, though, but I hope you get what we mean. Just trying to keep it tidy. We can only read so many. Thank you, booths, but they mean a lot to us. We just have to edit for the show sometimes.
0: That's basically it. We read them all, and we appreciate them all. All right, guys, let's talk about Endless OS. Endless was founded in 2012 in San Francisco, California, by Matthew Dalio and Marcelio Sampaio. And then in April of 2015, it probably got on all of our radar. I know we covered it at JB when they launched a Kickstarter. They raised $176,000 with 1,041 backers in less than 30 days. And initially, they were really going to focus on hardware. Over the years, they've pivoted more to focusing just on the software. On April 1st, 2020, Endless became a nonprofit organization known as the Endless OS Foundation. Endless is based on Debian, roughly, with a whole lot of customizations. It is an immutable OS based on OS Tree and a lot of flat packs. And we wanted to kick the tires and see if this was the implementation truly designed for a workstation, for end users, maybe for family, or for an office setting. And Brent, why don't we start with your experience?
1: Yeah, I was really excited to try Endless. I've heard about it for years, I think. I think it was back in like 2018 I started poking my eyes on it and keeping track of it. And they're doing a bunch of really neat stuff around education and outreach to you know, countries that don't have super fast internet. So they've got a bunch of really neat features around that. So that that's what got me interested at first. And I knew, oh, I know you too. And I figured you'd focus on the technical bits. So I thought, well, I'm just going to approach this from a usability and sort of user-friendliness standpoint. And I think you both know I'm pretty good at that. Uh, so things were going pretty well. I, unfortunately, though, started running into a few frustrating issues. I'm here testing Endless OS and feeling some frustrations. I really want to like it uh, There's some really nice stuff about it and some well-thought-out sections, um, but I'm running into some performance issues, which I never expected. I was originally running it in a virtual machine on my ThinkPad X250, and it was running kind of slow, and I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a good chance. So I pulled out my workstation, and installed it on an ssd internal ssd um because i thought i'm gonna give it the best chance possible and i'm running into some issues so there's in particular i think a great example of how frustrating this is is there's one of the 12 icons that appears in the launcher is called system which is a little bit confusing. I thought it was going to be, like, system information or something like that. It ends up being, which I think is also great, ends up being a teaching tool for computer internals. And it's, uh, like, graphically cartoony and looks kind of fun. But it just brings the entire system to a halt. The graphics are super glitchy. Whenever you move the mouse, one of the cores on my CPU, which has six, it's not a slouch of a computer. It's, uh... I guess it's an M- AMD Phenom 2 uh, 1075T. Graphics are AMD RS 880, so it's an old thing. It's got 8 gigs of RAM. It's an old thing, but um, not not a slouch by any means. And, uh, yeah, one of the processors just get pegged whenever you have this thing open and you're scrolling your mouse around it. But it also just brings the entire system to a halt to the point where it feels like I'm running this on a Raspberry Pi or something, and... That is so frustrating. I, it is like the slowest experience that I've had in a long time, and uh, maybe it's just that application. But it seems like the whole system just, oh, comes to a halt.
0: Just wasn't performing the way you wanted there, eh, Brent?
1: Yeah, and to be fair, I think it was that particular application that was causing that issue. Unfortunately. It was the very first icon I clicked on when I when I booted Endless for the first oh, time. No. Uh, so uh, because I thought, oh, that looks interesting.
0: Yeah, I did. I did pretty similar too. And it it just kills the performance. It's just
1: yeah, yeah. And I don't know why that is because they have another application called Hack, which is a teaching tool for coding, and it's it has a very similar feel to it in terms of like the graphics. Uh, that are presented as a user, user interface, and yet it seemed to perform perfectly. So there, there's got to be something there, and maybe it's fairly trivial for them to address that. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a perfect representation of the rest of the experience, but I have to say it took it took the whole experience down several notches for me, because I just, well, it just, it just wasn't great. But there were some other things that I really loved, like um, the login screen, was super simplistic, but had a ton of accessibility options, like more than I even knew existed, which I think maybe considering their audience, uh, they're trying to make it as inclusive as possible. So that was really cool to see. But I did run into a bunch of other paper cuts, and I, I'll be curious to hear your experiences. Like, you know, my internet isn't very fast here in my little cabin. Yes, I'm back home, everyone. Hello, Canada. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try their metered, selecting my Wi Fi as a metered connection. I just thought, well, see what happens. And I got some weird things happening. Like one of the, one of the things that happened in the uh, software updater was that it suggested it was downloading the newer version of endless OS. Uh, The installer I had was a little bit of an outdated version. So it suggested it was downloading, but it never would, nor could I cancel it and and nor could I kick it off, you know, on purpose. And so that was my intention with using the metered connection was like, well, I don't want things to download in the background because I have some Productivity that I want to get done, and, and downloading huge ISOs or whatever sometimes can take an hour or two. Here, I'm sure that's an easy fix as well. But was just another one of those. Oh, it's not quite where I want it to be. And I ran into something similar too with just trying to set a shortcut key for the terminal. I was just looking to set a keyboard shortcut, and you know it asks asks for what the terminal application name is that you want to run. And so I right-clicked on the terminal and went, oh, which terminal is this? Uh, and uh, it opened up the software center and just said, oh, sorry, there's no details for this application. So there was a, a bunch of these little things that just started getting to me. No dark mode. I know I know it's an old GNOME version, and I'm sure there's a uh, an add-on uh, that I can do to get a dark mode. But that was, uh, hopefully they get that with a newer version of, of GNOME when, when they update that. So I think I didn't ever run into any issues with the underlying OS and the technologies there and updating when I did happen was super smooth. And most of the interface was exactly as you expect. But I, in the end, found all these little tiny paper cuts just kind of deflated my excitement to try it out, which I feel is very unfortunate. And I hope maybe in a year or so,
0: maybe that'll be a little bit different. But I'm curious to hear uh, what you thought, Chris. So I came at it from a could-this-work-for-my-kids standpoint because I like the idea of an immutable distro for the kids. Just the other day, some updates installed on Fedora 36, and now I'm having trouble getting Dylan's NVIDIA card to work at all. Oh, boy. Like, the system, it sees it when I LS-PCI, and it's clearly there, but then, like, nothing I can do now to get the driver to actually work is happening. And I just think to myself, like, well, the primary job of this computer is to play games for him, really. And it'd be nice if I could just have rolled that back. And so an immutable system does seem really appealing. And I don't think a lot of the stuff that you hit would really bother him, to be honest with you. It would bother my son, Dylan. I think most of that, it would probably be unnoticed by him. But as I was setting it up, there were a few things I observed that I just thought were kind of interesting. Like, uh, and I know you saw this one too, but just like one of the absolutely most unique EULAs I have ever seen in a Linux distro. Oh, yeah. I don't think last when's the last time we commented on the EULA, right? It's, it's true. While.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, I did read it. I think you spent half your time with Endless just stuck in the EULA, Brent, if, a, if your Slack messages to me were any cute. That's Endless EULA, really. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, they have like sections highlighted and stuff. Like, make sure you see this. I'm like, okay, that's, wow. They're really drawing your attention, and it seems like it's a a PDF embedded into the installer too which
1: yeah i had a hard time reading it actually on on the monitors that i have here just the way it was scaling the PDF and then it would bound it as well so i couldn't zoom in enough to really get it legible in a way that i was i wanted it was so it could use a bit of work, I think.
2: But you did click agree, right? Just so we know if you've uh,
1: yeah. So <laughs> I read
0: up. it. I I read it
1: first, and then the three of us had about thirty minutes of conversation back and forth about it,
0: and then I hit accept. Yeah, we did. We did discuss it quite a bit. Uh, I actually like the way they've done the primary icons for launcher. Uh, it has a very iPad OS kind of feel, including the folders in which icons uh, hide out in. So unlike most distros, which are turning off desktop icons these days. Endless comes with Hack, which is what Brent was talking about, and Sidetrack, which are those interesting heavy apps. And it comes with Chromium as its default browser and an app center and Rhythmbox, you know, video, Shotwell video, a bunch of stuff, right? But it's on the desktop, like Springpad or whatever, Springboard, they call it on iOS. It, it looks like that. And then, of course, there is more applications installed and it has a launch bar. It, it has a search to run your thing. So if you want, you can just, and it's a search and enter to launch kind of thing. And I think all of that would work really, really well for most new users. In fact, I would argue that's probably for, for new users or average users, that's probably the most accessible desktop launcher setup I've seen in a long time. I think they nailed that. And I don't think it's how most like uh, pro Linux users like it. It's clearly not how upstream Gnome does things, which is interesting considering Endless's relationship with Gnome, which we'll get to more, but yet it's how they're doing things. I think the technological appeal to Endless OS is OS tree. Also, they integrate flat packs at a level deeper than I've seen any other distribution. Like when the system's booting up and you clear the splash screen and you just look at the services starting, you'll see a ton of stuff is actually flat pack stuff, even at the lower level of the system. I've never seen it integrated that low before. I'll talk about that more with Cassidy. And uh, it's hard to mess up because of all of these things, because of the flat pack and because of the immutable nature. It also means that if it's not right, it's harder To tweak it to make it right. But if it's working out of the box and it works for you, it'll pretty much stay that way. That is really nice. You know, having, I think the number one thing I hate is when I give a family member Linux and then they come back to me in about three months and something broke. And I just find that intolerable, right? And so I think this would prevent those kinds of things. And then ultimately it's easy to use. It's obvious. I think anyone who is any familiarity with a computer at all could use endless OS and not all distributions strike that balance. So I, I don't, I don't know if I love it. I think uh, I prefer, I prefer seeing what Gnome's doing now. I want the newer stuff now. I already want Gnome 43, right? So endless just isn't really a distribution for me, but you know, I don't think Dylan cares what version of Gnome he gets as long as files works, you know, as long as he can you know, use the system. He doesn't care what version of Gnome it is. He just wants it to be Nice. He wants it to look modern, he wants it to be nice, he sees dad's setup,
2: and he wants it to look cool like dad's setup. So dark mode would be helpful. What about you, Wes? A few things stand out from what you you guys said. One, yeah, the Flatpak implementation is, is, just, is just really nice, and that, to me, it, it led me down this train of thought here of like, I can't really think of the last time I saw a Linux distribution that felt this productized, and not in a bad way, just like very thoughtfully designed, clearly that, you know, these elements have been selected and worked on and honed over the, the long number of years now that Endless has been around to try to get this experience. I think maybe there's some questions around if that's really the experience, like, you know, you and I and, and Brent want for our systems because we're so used to sort of taking all these bits, especially with something, you know, talking of immutability, playing with with Nix where we're building our own custom systems from whole cloth, basically. Endless is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. But what they've done is it's just really impressive. And like you're talking about, you know, with Dylan, I'm thinking kind of the reverse here. I'm thinking my mom, you know, she's on a older 18.04, 20.04. Either way, I need to do some updates, uh, a Mate system. I I think I might just try Endless next for her. I could see that being a pretty trouble-free OS in that situation. I did find it a little funny to get started with. I do want to give them a lot of credit for having a lot of different images available. I really enjoyed that they had like a VMDK image. If you just want to try it out in a virtual machine, no fuss. They've got Raspberry Pi. They've got Pine stuff. They've got like a lot of different ARM versions. But that also means you have a ton of different things to pick from. And you're like, well, do I want this multi-language? And like they've got these minimal base versions, but then these also really fat like 16 gig downloads if you want all the stuff baked in. But unless you spend enough time sort of reading all the verbiage to understand what those options are and mean, I don't know, I could, I could see not getting the image I want. And then I was also just a little surprised that you end up getting a .dot .torrent file instead of your ISO or IMG. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But is the average endless user fine with that? I don't know. I don't want to presume, but... That, see, and that's where I have some questions. I, I'd, be, I'd be real curious to learn more because on one hand, torrent files are kind of, you know, kind of arcane if you're not a, if you're not a nerd di- downloading a lot of ISOs or other content. But at the same time, you could see where, you know, some of the use cases that Endless is trying to fit here. Maybe you don't have access to fancy CDNs, but you do have a local community or a local school or a few organizations in a country that have these distributed. And that's where something like torrents might really shine. Yeah, I could also see,
0: though, in school networks, torrents being totally blocked. You know, you, you just in a university, I could see them blocking torrent downloads.
1: You know, Wes, to add to your confusion, I I found that there were certain downloads of a certain version of Endless OS at EndlessOS.com. And then there were a few places at EndlessOS.org where I think more of the d- development happens where I found more updated versions like 4.0.8, I think it is, is the most recent. And I was a little confused, I guess on the homepage, maybe that's their like super stable you know, uh, 4.0 release, and that's what they're putting out there. But if you, I, I was trying to get the latest and greatest version, and I I found, like, three different places to get different versions
0: um, that I thought was
1: a little bit confusing.
0: And the one that they put at endless.org, they
2: actually lead with a Windows installer version. Oh, that's
0: fancy, fascinating.
2: Yeah, there's a lot more to play with here, I gotta say. Like, I, I don't think I've finished my playing around with Endless OS. I mean, as you say, right, they've got this whole option to, like, just install it alongside Windows. I definitely... The next time I'm feeling up to actually doing a fresh Windows install, I'd like to try that alongside. And then, as you mentioned, like they've got Raspberry Pi support. and I just, I just want to see how that hangs together. Yeah, it, is a, it makes for a
0: confusing set of download options. But I guess, you know, it's nice to have those options.
2: So <laughs> either way, for an enthusiast, it's fine. I wonder how the cycle for users, are most endless users, you know, sort of setting this up for themselves? Or is it something, you know, more institutional where... You know, someone can get these ISO files on the back end. Maybe they're not even a computer expert, but they know enough to sort of get these files going and start flashing laptops with them and hand them out. Because it seems like once you get past that first phase, then, yeah, I think we've all kind of thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to break this very easily. Or at least, you know, less knowledgeable Linux users certainly won't. I think our buddy Cass will speak to that a bit. But I I, I got a I got a vague sense when
0: talking to him kind of like where their market is now for that kind of thing. Um, And I think it's probably a lot of pre-installed, like somebody else is installing it for them. Yeah, that makes sense. And,
2: you know, really, here, we're not experts. We're just kind of dabbling. We've done our whole summer of immutability. Endless is a fascinating, totally different approach. and I think it, it also speaks to sort of the, the usefulness of tools like OS Tree and where those technologies are going. But we wanted, you know, we wanted more details. And thankfully, our dear friend of the show, Cassidy James Blady, was willing to sit down earlier this week with Chris... He's now working at Endless and had a bunch of insights to share with us. So a big welcome
0: back to the show, Cassidy. It has been too long. I think the last time you and I chatted might have been in person at System76 last year.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's been a minute.
0: A lot has changed for you since then. So I know you're now over at Endless. I think probably the last time you are on the show, you were still at Elementary.
4: Yep. So tell us uh, what you do at Endless and what your title is over there and all that jazz. At Endless, I'm the Partner Success Engineer. And basically, my job—it's it, funny because it—it's kind of this almost uh, what's the word—amorphous job description. But it's basically like make sure that our partners are successful, <laughs> and whatever whatever's needed there. Uh, and practically, what that means is I'm a bridge between the engineering team and partner organizations. So there's like non other nonprofits, non governmental organizations, sometimes governments that are deploying Endless OS in you know various places around the world. And I helped make that happen. Interesting.
0: Those sound like some pretty heavy hitter clients. It's interesting, too, because, you know, knowing what I know about you and and sort of your, your style and your taste, I think it seems like Endless is a really good fit because Endless OS itself is one of the most polished Linux distributions that I've ever used. And there's a lot that goes into making a distribution this nice, this well put together and this accessible to end users. But yet, I wonder if you agree. Because I know you've been around for a minute in the Linux community. It really doesn't feel like many people are talking about Endless. Why do you suppose it doesn't quite get the attention, maybe, say, a Mint or or another distribution that's really desktop-focused out there?
4: Yeah, well, it's funny. It it definitely is kind of a sleeper sleeper OS in a way, um, as far as within the Linux community. Um, And I think a big part of that is because... The Linux community, shocker, is not really the target audience of Endless OS. And that's fine. And that's actually pretty cool. The The target for, for Endless OS is these partner organizations and, and people around the world who need a, a simple computer. And uh, a lot of times, you know, there's a heavy education focus. We work with educational edu- institutions like um, schools or school districts. And they'll deploy this in a school for kids who have only ever used a smartphone as their computer and so this is their first computer their first real computer you know that's a very different audience from what i think most people using linux mint or fedora or whatever are going to be so and that's that i mean that speaks to the the diversity of open source and um why I think it's cool, you know, you get a lot of flack sometimes people say, oh, why why don't all the distros come together, make one super distro? You know, that's like this recurring, almost like a meme at this point, right? It's like, why can't we all just make one desktop environment, one distro, one OS? And while sometimes I do think companies venture out on their own a little too much and don't kind of work with the rest of the community, I think there's also a place for that. I think there's a place for we have a target market, we have i mean at endless we have a a decade of experience working with these organizations and these deployments around the world you know a lot of times it's it's places with really low power computers with little or no internet or very expensive internet these are very different users than say a developer running ubuntu i think sometimes there's there's a place for that for for different solutions for different people it strikes me though that there's a bit of a dichotomy with this
0: distribution because, like, I think you just really did a really good job defining who the target user is. But yet, my early investigations into this, it feels like it's built on a lot of advanced technologies. Like, I, I feel like I see flat packs incorporated way lower in the system than I've seen other
4: distributions incorporate flat packs. And
0: can you talk about that a little bit?
4: And I, I'm actually not super clear on like the the origin origins of this. Um, Rob McQueen, our CEO, would actually be the person to like dive into the the real interesting history here with. Calabra and Lenaro, there was like some like the origins of endless os comes out of that somehow somewhere basically it was the 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 first or one of the first image-based linux operating systems so we use os tree for the operating system at a low level the whole the whole os is an os tree image and updates come through as like a diff Commits almost like Git. If you if you're familiar with OS tree, it's like Git for operating systems. It's it's actually the same technology that Flatpak uses under the hood. So the whole operating system's an image, and you get updates to it. And then the natural you know solution for apps on top of that is Flatpak. Again, similar technology or same technologies under the hood. The biggest thing for us is like it has to be bulletproof. It has to just work really well and updates. Over extremely slow, extremely expensive data connections, updates have to come down and they have to be diffs of the OS. You can't download an entire 100 gigabyte or more image with all the educational content, especially. And you can't like download it halfway and then have it fail and download it again because you're paying per bit. Like, so it has to be bulletproof on the other side of the keyboard. You know, on on the user side of the keyboard, you have somebody who can't debug it whether it's a kid at a school or maybe an administrator like a, a teacher or an administrator at a school who is not an IT person, uh, the school may not even have an IT department. It's like it just has to work. It has to work really well. And so that's that's really the, the reasons we use um, OS tree image based and, and flat pack is we, we can't have package conflicts. We can't have any of the that legacy issues that you might have had in the past on Linux.
0: You know, we've been spending the summer looking at immutable Linux distributions, and Endless feels like the, the absolute peak implementation where maybe even at first pass, if you downloaded this and just use it, you wouldn't realize that it's an image-based OS at all. That's fascinating, and I imagine to pull that off, to integrate Flatpaks like they have, all of this, there must be a lot of upstream collaboration with the GNOME project and GTK, and I think this is an area where Endless is probably heavily involved.
4: And again. Doesn't get very much attention. Yeah, I love this. Like when I talk to friends about, they're like, oh, Endless, I've kind of heard you guys, like heard about you guys. Like, what do you do? I'm like, well, do you use GNOME software? Do you use Flatpak? Do you, have you ever used FlatHub? Have you ever used the pro, power profiles work? Have you ever done anything with metered data? Have you ever, like, if you've done any of that stuff, you've used our software and because we've written it upstream. Uh, if, even if you've, like, gone super wild experimental developer, like, if you're testing GNOME OS, which is, like, the open secret GNOME operating system that's, you know, just for CI, or just, just for testing in CI, not on real hardware, that uses the endless installer as its installer. Like, we contributed that upstream to GNOME much of the work going into Gnome these days, I don't want to take credit for everything. Like, obviously there's so many people and there's such a diversity of people involved in Gnome, but like much of the work that you don't realize in the Gnome community and the Flatpak community is done by endless people. Yeah, I find that absolutely
0: fascinating. And of course, users get the benefit on all of the distributions, but it creates this interesting situation where, yeah, endless isn't necessarily shipping the latest Gnome base. It's like what, or something like that base still you know and of course Gnome 42 is out and they're working on 43 but yet a lot of the features i'm now enjoying in current versions of Gnome are, are actually here in endless already
4: yeah, yeah. The the metered data is a big example of that. And it was years ago I went to a, a hackfest in I think it was in London at a Red Hat office with a bunch of gnome people. And I was there like I was half representing elementary and half representing system seventy six. Like this is the beauty of open source and all the companies and, and organizations involved in open source is like like I'm I'm still involved with the exact same people as when I was working at system seventy six, doing elementary in my free time, and now I'm working at Endless and But yeah, the the focus of that hackfest was metered data and parental controls. And those were two features that didn't exist in GNOME and weren't standardized in any way. Uh, They existed in Endless OS downstream. And we Endless sent people to like, hey, how do we design it in a way that not just works for us and our use cases? We know we have have weird use cases for for our, our weird users, you know, compared to the broader Linux community. But how do we actually do it the right way, upstream? And so now that's why parental controls is 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 built in. Um there's a what's it called? Malcontent, which is a great name for a library. It's a library for implementing like parental controls and and um content aware. And it it, it piggybacks on the flat pack and app stream data. So like you can restrict your your apps that are opened based on like what kind of contents they have. Like there's all these efforts that like we've been kind of had our fingers in that really make for a really good experience for any general purpose operating system as well.
0: Yeah, and it makes it safe as a family machine, desktop OS, and that's nice. And not one you have to tinker
4: with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we hear a lot of people who are like, hey, I heard this Endless OS thing. Like, I'm a developer. It doesn't really make sense for me, which, first of all, that's side note. Like, I do a lot of development and I use Endless OS. But yeah, I get it. Like, maybe maybe an Ubuntu or Fedora install or something is better for you, and that's fine. But, like, we'll hear from these people, but my, I, I bought a laptop for my kid and I threw on this OS on it and I just don't have to worry. And it's like, yes, exactly. You don't have to be an IT person to run it. You don't have to like worry about the content because it has parental controls built in and it's proven by tens of thousands of, of active users out there around the world of like different cultures and, and different deployments in different countries. So it's a it's a pretty safe bet. It's Maybe one of the
0: uh, lesser known out there, but does, it should probably get more attention. Uh, I, you know, I hear from listeners all the time who say, well, I ended up getting a Mac or I switched to Windows for a bit. I just got too frustrated. And my thought was, is always like, well, you should try something like Endless. Because yeah. you, know, you still get to use Linux, you get that environment, but you've got that bulletproof image base, flat packs for the applications. You know, As we kind of wrap up this, this little summer journey into immutable Linux, I wonder if you agree that it's going to take a long time. But I could see in five to ten years, your average users that are you know buy, they're getting Linux systems. Maybe they're shipped from a, a manufacturer for office work and enterprise work and school work. Doesn't it seem like just the the trend is going to be all of those are inevitably going to be immutable based systems, image based systems in some way, just because of the the problems that solves for everyday users seems inevitable to me. What about to
4: you? Yeah, absolutely. I I'm actually. More surprised that it's not already happening sooner, if that makes sense. Like, uh, I've been using Silverblue off and on, kind of it, for for a while. It was like my way to see what GNOME was up to before I was as deeply involved in the GNOME community, because I just knew, you know, I don't really want to fiddle with. Honestly, it was like for me, I I wasn't used to Fedora package management, and so I was like, if I just I can't do Fedora package management with a uh, with Silverblue, I knew there's RPM os tree and stuff, but like. So that was the reason I started on Silverblue, and I think it was like thir- on Fedora 34, and then that install I upgraded to 35 and 36. I upgraded to like the alpha of 36 and rolled back to 35, and that was like flawless. That's like what sold me and like what blew my mind was like, yeah, oh, this this is just this is just the way it, it should be. This is just the right way to do it, and and I think like I think all the right people, all the important people working on things know that. I think the hurdles we have to get over is like developer tooling which i'll say with like with toolbox and flat builder and stuff the developer experience is actually really good too i'm still kind of getting used to doing everything in a toolbox but but it's really nice to have that separation between your host os and your development environment and it's a sound concept here's maybe here's my hot take I would be shocked if Fedora doesn't switch to like silver blue as the default within the next three years, maybe. That's I feel like oh. that's maybe a safer bet. I was gonna say five, but I was like, let's be aggressive.
0: Yeah, five was my bet. So three is a little aggressive, but that it's it's wild, and I feel like I've had a blind spot on all of this really until about April and then June of this year, when I really started paying attention at the beginning of summer. It's just funny because you look at it and after you've used it for a bit, you're like, oh well clearly this is the way it's going so
4: yeah and it solves like it solves so many problems like i was i was talking with the gnome designer design team last week and like they're working on some new features in gnome software some new designs and it's like you know this would just be so much easier if we didn't have to worry about devs and rpms and if it was just images for the os and flat packs for the apps like and, and honestly that's that's how i have silverblue that's how endless os is set up it really is nice once you kind of just accept that's how it works. It's real nice. Yeah, you get in that workflow and it functions really good. It's really solid.
0: You have modern applications. You're not stuck to just what's in the repo. And you have that bulletproof reliability. It's such a win. Well, Cassie, it's been really fun to dig into this. Endless looks like just a beautiful OS. It's just a really great piece of work. And uh, stay in touch. Thanks for coming on and chatting with me and keep up the great work. Sounds good. Thank you. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Get started with a free trial for yourself or a team or an enterprise at bitwarden.com slash Linux. I started as an individual user and now I use it for my business. And Bitwarden makes it really simple all along the way to just have really great password and security hygiene and store your secrets in a safe place. I imported from my old password manager years ago. And then it was also very simple for others on our team to import from their password managers. And now we can all work collaboratively. And as a team, We use that daily, right? But as a business owner, I take some security in knowing that Bitwarden is open source and it's trusted by millions of individuals in their community. Wes and I use it every single day personally and for our work stuff. And Bitwarden has been adding features at an incredible clip. New stuff all the time, like cross-domain identity management, of course, username generator, which I think is just brilliant. And they've worked with email relay services. So you could actually even give a unique email, a unique username. Add a unique password for every site or service you use, and Bitwarden is the only way I think it's reasonable to stay secure across mobile and desktop devices. And of course, they have a flat pack app, so it's one of the very first things I install, so I can start authenticating everything because, like, everything needs a login these days. <laughs> and then, of course, I also have to log in on my mobile device. And like, am I going to have like this crazy three or four sentence long password that I type in manually every single time? Of course not. Of course not. And Bitwarden is the best way to manage that. And it's all your secrets. And you can also put your two-factor tokens in there, which is really convenient. And they make it really simple to manage your personal stuff and your business stuff. I can attest to that. You can keep them separated, but easily switch between them. On top of all of that, you can get ease of mind with their Vault Health Reports. It's so great bringing it all together. And then when you add the new features, just the really smart stuff that they've been like laser accurately adding to Bitwarden. Oh, it's such a great time to become a Bitwarden user. If maybe you've already done it, you know what, I'd be surprised if you haven't, because it is really self-evident. So if you have maybe you could suggest this to someone else. It's a great way to support the show as well. Maybe your workplace could use this. We all have a friend or a family member that could probably do passwords better. Better than the uh, sticky under their keyboard. I won't name names, but I have more than one family member that used to do it that way. I gave the gift to Bitwarden. you can too. Bitwarden.com/linux. One more time to go get it for yourself or for a team bitwarden.com slash linux
1: as always we got some great feedback this week if you want to send us some you can go to linuxunplugcom slash contact former gentour sent two ideas i think were, were worthy of discussion the first is just a little feedback on Tailscale. they say hey wonderful team I've been listening to y'all for a year now, and I'm eternally grateful for TailScale, which I learned about from you and which I've been using to roll out my own VPN for the family. We're spread out through three continents. I take a good look at every single one of your software recommendations. Thank you. Isn't that nice?
4: Aww. That is nice. That is well, nice. I don't so think it... we
2: can take full credit for TailScale. You know, I think the team over there did some of the work, too. We just are standing on the shoulders of giants with TailScale.
1: We have the easy job of just being fans.
0: <laughs> I do like it a lot it's it's to me it's the same type of game changer that FileSync was and ssh was like it's a it's a whole
2: step change in functionality and i guess always some some shout outs to old jason Donfeld for uh for WireGuard in the
0: freaking first place also another favorite tool of the show is nebula it's another really great one that you can completely host yourself uh you need to set it up a
2: little bit more versus tail scale it's like a you know yeah, especially for some of your, you know, if you have like staticky backend infrastructure that you have deployed, like pff, Nebula is great and super minimal and fast and clean. If you've got, you know, like a great example would be just a couple of systems or
0: VPSs spread out across a couple of providers and maybe like a local box and you're planning to keep them forever. You don't really need mobile, a mobile device in there. I think Nebula would work really well for that.
1: Former Gentour continued. I haven't heard you mention Keybase at all. The client is open source, the server is not-ish. It uses GNU PG to implement and end encryption for several sorts of things, full-featured chat, group chat, file sharing, Git repos even, and general encryption slash decryption of files. It can even act as a sort of social network where you follow people and can view their public file folders as well as privately chat with them. Works right on Linux, Mac, Windows, Android, iPhones. And of course, it has a pretty capable command line interface as well. The former startup was acquired by Zoom in 2020 after those first security shenanigans, but everything on the client side still remains open source. Chris, I think you've used Keybase in the past, have you not? Or you, you've explored it? I remember that.
0: Yeah, I guess I still technically have an active Keybase account. I'm kind of sad Keybase never really took off more. It felt like it was, out of all of like the sort of social things... I think it was a little early. It was a little complicated. But what it really gave you is a way to verify who you are, you know, because they they if you go look at like a Keybase profile, you can find mine, Keybase.io slash Chris I think. And if you go there, you'll see sort of like these ways I verify this is actually my identity. And that's pretty useful uh, in, you know, the current world that we live in. And so I do that via some, you know, GPG keys. You can do that via bitcoin addresses you can do that via by proving a tweet, a github entry, your reddit account. Um, I also put a file at jupiterbroadcasting.com that verifies that, you know, just to show that it's me. And I think that's a great concept. And then now they have a slack like chat interface.
2: It works on Linux. Yeah, they have built a lot of kind of cool tools around Keybase and it does seem like if you've if you've taken the time to kind of set up your Keybase infrastructure and, you know, verify all these things and connect all your keys and identities it, it can be well worth it because it, it kind of integrates all very nicely in a way that feels a little disparate and thrown out all over the place sometimes with our other solutions.
0: I think the the really the truth is, though, and you just can't overlook it, you can't just shrug it off, is that Zoom bought them. And I think that just leaves everybody with a little bit of a bad taste in their
2: mouth. Especially considering the folks who were probably some of the primary consumers of Keybase, right? Like, it was never probably going to be a, a, a giant mainstream thing. It was going to be for, like, privacy folks and tech nerds and all of whom are a little sketched out by Zoom, maybe. I think that's part of it, right?
0: And it's not like they've messed it up. They've pretty much just left it alone. It really doesn't seem like they've, they've screwed up the product, but I, I guess that could change at any point. And I think it's just a non-starter issue for some people. Like, honestly, if I tried to get you on it, Brent, and I told you all about Keybase, and then I told you it's owned by Zoom, wouldn't that give you pause? There's a hesitation, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say so.
3: And now it is time for Le boost. Our
2: first non-bother boost of the day from our friend Bronze Wing with 9,001 sats.
1: It's over 9,000!
2: I've been listening to you for about a year now, and a question just crossed my mind. Well, hey, hey, welcome to the show, Bronzewing. We're glad to have you. Their question, though, how do you guys all know each other? Or how did you all meet?
1: That feels like a big question, eh?
0: I'm kind of glad this came up because it's all starting to fade
2: for me. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I remember. Wait, have we always known each other? And we've always been doing this show. I don't really remember it before. Right. Uh, this is a, just a side.
0: Uh, realized last week, several weeks late, that Linux Unplugged has been running longer than Linux Action Show. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that is cool. Isn't that mind-blowing? Wow. I believe Coda Radio has been, too. Perhaps not in total years because we took some time off. And we did a computer action show. We, did, we, we fooled around for a little bit, tried twice a month for a bit. But, yeah, definitely in episode numbers and maybe in an actual runtime. So I remember that for episode 100 of the Unplugged program, we did a barbecue meetup. And uh, Wes came with uh, food and commentary. And uh, then I think it's just been every week since then. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, much
2: yeah. it. <laughs> pretty much we got some like mexican food and like talked about show stuff at one point i seem to recall oh okay she sure. invited that... me back like a couple of times like hey yeah you want to come on again and then at some point i just stopped leaving or i started <laughs> i just started showing up i guess i don't know if i was invited or not i do like to warm people
0: up with a little el precios that's the, right it's mm. one of my maneuvers now that you're talking about it i
1: sort of recall us revisiting it might have been for episode 400 that that you did a revisit and you had a clip from the barbecue and Wes's first like on the air clip. And I think that was uh, pretty great.
0: And I remember playing it back and it was like, you, you'd think Wes had been doing it for a hundred episodes. Like he just hit the ground running. So I was like, well, this guy's got to get on the show. Brent, remind me, how did we meet? I, I it must've been through the shows. Linux Fest. Okay. Yeah. What else do you remember? It's like I say, it's all fate. That's why we got to. It's good. We do this. Yeah, it is. I think Linux Fest
1: is probably a a well, both a great place to meet people and also a place where those memories just get sort of squashed. And there's so like much something. happening. And yeah, this was yeah. Linux Fest Northwest. So I, I think it was must have been maybe 2017 would be my best guess.
0: Wow, really?
1: Yeah, and I had planned. I was living in Northern Ontario at the time, and I had planned to see my brother who was out here in BC, and also do a little road trip. To go to my very first Linux Fest. And that happened to be Linux Fest Northwest. And of course, as a JB fanboy at the time, I wanted to meet all the folks. And uh, I ended up driving from BC. I think, oh, yeah, in a, oh, that was, what a crazy time. Anyways, I rented a car and drove from BC, across the border uh, into the US and made my way to the Linux Fest Northwest parking lot the night before the event started. And it was so late, and I didn't have a hotel. I had a tent, but there was nowhere to pitch it. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to sleep in the back of this car that I've rented, which is not the first time I've done this. (laughs) And uh, you're in a
2: pinch, you know, you're very resourceful,
1: Brent. Right. I did bring water. And I ended up sort of on campus where they hold Linux Fest Northwest, and I just so happened to find Jupes. And I was like, whoa, I think I'm in the right place. I don't know exactly where to go when the event starts, but I know at least I'm in the right vicinity.
0: Yeah, we were there overnight camping as well. So we were there the night before. That's true. And we're kind of hard to miss.
1: (laughs) Right. And and then as I was parking, I was like, well, I don't want to park too close to be like that creep that's, you know, just within the bounds of the creepy creepiness, but not so far that I don't like, I don't know. So I picked a spot, camped there. I think it was like two or three nights in that car. It's crazy. So I met you at the booth the very first time. You probably met a hundred people at that booth, so I don't think you remember.
0: No, that's, is that true? I thought we met in the I thought we met in the parking lot in the morning when we let Levi out to go to the bathroom, and you were out, kind of like waking up and stretching. Oh yeah.
1: Oh, you're right. I mean, I'm not a morning person, so.
0: But yeah, you're right.
1: I was like, I don't know, brushing my teeth or something out of a out of a, a bottle or something. And, like and my that.
0: my first thought was, did this guy. Did he time it so that way we, we'd be, he'd be out there when we came out? Like, I was wondering, was he waiting for us? Like
1: I do remember that <laughs> night it rained like crazy too. And I had my windows open and that caused some issues. Oh man. Oh yeah. Good memory. Yeah, I, I was aware that I didn't want to like jump you guys at that point and be one of those, one of those people. So I hopefully I left enough space.
0: <laughs> but, but, you know, Levi's a conversation starter and I'm pretty sure we got to talking and, and you know.
1: Yeah, and uh, so thankfully I that meant, well, you guys were great. You, as as all the fans who've met you know, that uh, you just invited me in and gave me a tour of, of Lady Jupes and Levi and I became friends immediately. And uh, I think that just started sort of... Uh, friendship and um then a few days later you invited us of course to a barbecue at the studio and i think i never left i remember sleeping on the floor of the studio one night and uh and i just yeah, those, uh, had a great those time
2: post uh post linux fest parties at the studio they get they get out of hand <laughs> yeah
1: yeah wonderfully so and uh alan was there and a whole bunch of people it was a great time.
2: Right. We probably had
0: several projects going on. I'm sure you just got, you know. You? No. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how those those Linux fests can be life-changing.
1: That's exactly what it was. It was like um, me going to live out a small dream that I had for a few years. And uh, it was even better than I would have expected. And I remember taking a bunch of photos and being able to share those, which was fun. And that friendship just grew from there. And I was able to... Uh, actually, the way I, I started... Um, with Linux Unplugged, just by chance, was that at that time I, I said to you, Hey, I, if I can help in any way, that uh, let me know. You said, Well, oh, okay, well, hit me up in like two weeks because it's kind of insane right now. And so I did. And you were like, Oh, well, actually, Wes is like going to Bali or something. And uh, I need a co host for Linux Unplugged for a short time. You want to join me? I was like, Sure. Let's see how this goes. I've. It does, uh, that, yeah, right. That was, I was super nervous back then, but you were, you were kind enough to give me a try and then uh, I never left.
0: I bet we talked about digital photography. That was, yeah. <laughs> I was fascinated, you know, Probably. professional photographer using Linux. It was, yeah, right? uh, you know, you don't see those every yeah. day. Bronzewing, thank you for uh, the boost. That was a fun conversation and good refresher. Get all that uh, recalled before we forget it.
2: But the boosts, they must go on. Our next one is from Soli86 with 5,000 sats. A long-time listener in Australia here. I'm using Fountain thanks to JB, so I'm boosting back the free sats I received from them. Well, thank you, Sully. Wow, that's a decent return there on the stream of sats,
0: 5,000 for listening to podcasts. That's a feature in Fountain FM, is they kind of have like this incentive system. And so we've been getting more boosts from new new timers who are just listening to the shows, collecting the sats, and then sending them back through boosts. And I've been doing the same thing. It's been fun.
2: Sully goes on. I work in IT, and of course, we're all Microsoft. I have managed to have most of my workflow in Linux. However, the most important thing is Outlook and .msg files. I like using Outlook on the web. However, the business workflow and ticketing system relies on those msg files. Got any ideas on how I can open msg files in Linux without needing to convert the files? Thanks for the great content. Uh, the, uh,
0: the not needing to convert is tricky. I would say it's worth seeing what evolution can do. I think you'd be really surprised at how easily evolution integrates in with an Outlook ecosystem, but it's a lot to install. Personally, I would just make a copy of stuff and I would convert it. I don't know about you, Wes, but that's what my
4: approach would be.
2: Yeah, probably. It sounds like maybe there's some ways to get Thunderbird to play decently there, too, although I have not tried that. And then as a last resort, we'll have a link to uh, MSG Convert, which if you have to go to a conversion-based workflow, it looks like a... I think it might even be derived from Thunderbird, and it's a little Perl script to handle MSG conversions. I think of it as
0: backup, right? Don't think of it as uh, conversion and duplication. Think of it as backup.
1: Wolfman wrote in with 500 sets. Just completed my resume getting my amateur radio license. And then it occurred to me, does anyone else at JB have their ham license? I've never heard the topic come up on air before. Something like a DMR repeater or hosting a community DMR server sounds like something the community may get interested in.
0: I kind of agree. Uh, we don't uh, talk about ham much. I don't know much about it, but I think it's super cool. And I, every time Noah's around, I try to like get him to talk about it so I can, like, you know, Learn some language or he even though it knows even left a few devices here. So we technically have devices. Oh. I, don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to use them. You know?
1: <clears throat> yeah. You know, I think cheese was interested in that stuff, too. I remember him doing some like emergency preparedness stuff in his area during, you know, remember when they got flooded and stuff like that down in Texas. So I think he's got some experience if I remember.
2: Definitely seems like there's a lot of sort of kindred spirits there, right? Like this sort of self hosting it yourself, learning how this technology works, understanding the physics and computers all involved. Like, yeah, that's some excellent eekery right there.
1: It's the original decentralized. Uh, we got a boost to 2,222 sats, row of ducks from someone named Nix Dash Bitcoin is amazing.
0: I love that. Welcome back, Nix Dash Bitcoin. It's been a bit since we heard from you. This is what got me into Nix. So nice i obviously agree
1: they're right have you considered an ac enclosure in your garage for the server the enclosure keeps the machines cool and clean however if the ac stops running for any reason then the enclosure will actually turn into a furnace (laughs) 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 chris i feel like uh, you and i um talked quite a bit about this i think almost exactly a year ago when we built oh no In January, we built the server rack and we had many conversations about this. And those were some of the hesitations. I was like, okay, well, if we put in some infrastructure, someone has to maintain that infrastructure as well. So how can we do it? I had some ideas about doing it passively, but I wonder what your thoughts are now that you've been living with the heat again.
0: Of course, I've been all over the spectrum on this. I am beginning to discount colo. We got we got more booths that came in just like, I want, I want a second, the, the, the Colo stuff. Cool, cool your roll on that. We got some people that, that had that opinion. And you know we've talked about maybe building a box in the garage, but Jeff and I were talking before the show started. You know, Jeff's been out here. He's seen the studio. You think maybe we could do it with some insulation and decent cooling, or at least we have a shot.
2: Yeah, I think if we insulate the garage uh, attic, because those are typically not insulated at all, maybe double insulate, uh, you know, where it usually is at the barrier of the roof, and then up top with the rafters, and then definitely insulate the garage door itself. Um, That might be enough with a little, you know, a fan, a little bit of airflow. It doesn't get too hot up there. Yeah, and if it, you know, if we kept it somewhere
0: in the 80 degree range, you know, maybe even a little higher, I'd be fine with that. The servers have survived that.
2: You know, it's all used gear. Well, and we we don't need it to be necessarily perfect uptime, you know? Like if there was okay, there's two heat we heat waves a year and we shut it down for those, that's at least a lot better than where we're at
4: now.
1: I foresee me being in the attic here in a week or two. I could see that coming. I'll I'll bring a suit.
0: You know what? I, I, we'll bring Jeff up with us after the road
2: trip, right? And all of us will come up and we'll insulate the <laughs> we'll insulate the garage. Let's make a plan and I'll take the time off. Let's go. All right. Well that way Brent can record up there. <laughs> All right. You're right. That'll be soundproof. (laughs) Very good.
0: I think it could work, guys. I think it could work. All right. And I just have a couple of shout outs. A 50 sats from uh, VIP Torso, listening from Finland for over a year, sent in 50 sats. That's like a penny. But it's just amazing that you can do it, right? Like, that's what I think people have to appreciate about lightning. Uh, We got a row of ducks from Mr. Quackers, who said he's thinking about changing his names. His name. Whoa. Yeah, he's thinking about changing his name. I, I would be sad. Uh, I, like, I like Mr. Quackers. I think we have a really great soundbite that goes with it. Quacka, waka, it's a treasure. Yippee!
2: Pick your new name based on soundbite ability. That's all. Mm-hmm. We got
0: 2,000 sats from TrevDev, who I uh, said uh, loves gooics.
2: You know, geeks, you know, I call it gooics, but it's are I, I know we're drawing the, the summer of immutability to a close, but, but maybe I need to sneak geeks in there. Good. Now use this scheme. Yeah, ah, there's only so many days in the summer,
0: though. We also got two thousand three hundred and twenty-three sats from Logic. Uh, he boosted when we were live, and we had we were having some trouble last week, and he was helping troubleshoot. So I'm going to be leaving helipad up during live shows. We don't actually have the live tag yet, but some people are still boosting in during the show, so I don't want to miss those. If you'd like to send us a boost, go grab a new podcast app, newpodcastapps.com. Podverse is totally free. It's an droid It's on iOS. It's an Android. And it's going to be all over our new website. So then you really get like the trifecta because the web, the mobile apps, GPL, it's gorgeous. You heard us talk about Fountain. That's one that lets you actually earn sats for listening to podcasts. And Castomatic o matic is great on iOS as well. There's a whole bunch over at newpodcastapps.com, including Breeze. You don't have to change your podcast app and boost CLI if you really want to be a geek. We got a bag of picks here. And uh, what do you say, Wes? Should we give just a mention to VisiData? That was one of the many tools that you use to go uh, sort the hat to get our
2: JPL names. Yeah, we definitely should just because you know how we love dirty command line picks. And uh, this is one that multiple audience members, you know, anytime we talked about fun little command line tools or especially like command line spread sh- spreadsheets or like data manipulation or charts, VisiData came up and I hadn't had a chance to actually play with it. Until I was kind of going through these CSVs that we got out of our next cloud and thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way. I don't, I don't really want to do this in a browser. I definitely don't need LibreOffice installed on this machine, and I have a terminal. VisiData Data was perfect. You can do operations on multiple rows, multiple columns. You can do pivot tables. You can do charts. And because it's all like powered with Python, you can just run your own Python scripts on the data powered by VisiData. Data. It's it's pretty rad. And it was very handy.
0: I think this is probably a tool we'll be going to for these types of things in the future. And I love that it has pivot tables. Uh, Minimec sent in a Google Teller pick.
3: This one's kind of creepy, isn't it, Minimec? Yeah, that, that's a really cool one. We will love that one. So I was reading my favorite uh, news site, which is der standard an Austrian news site give it, give it a try if you're familiar with the German language. Um, so they wrote an article about that tool, Google Teller. And that is a tool that gives you some uh, feedback from your internal computer speaker whenever there is some data exchange between your browser and one of the Google servers and services, like uh, Google Search, Google Ads, Google Fonts, YouTube, whatever. So imagine the situation you have Google Chrome or Chromium open and you type something in the address bar. In these two browsers, you have the active word prediction active. So whenever you type a letter in there, your computer starts beeping. And that, in the end effect, means every single address you type in 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 Google Chrome and Chromium in the address bar gets sent to Google. Everything, everything. Other example, you have an ad blocker. uh, You don't have an ad blocker and you start loading your favorite node site. I mean, your computer is screaming because of all the Google ads, for example. Or interesting fact, you have the whole site loaded and you start scrolling around and all of a sudden you have these beeps again because, I don't know, some cookie sends the exact position you are on that site or some other info to Google. It is really a weird, interesting experience. So that that tool is is really worth playing. You will find the the code on GitHub. You have to compile it, and it's only working in Linux for now because it works in combination with other IP tables. But in fact, the installation instructions and usage are well described, and I guess you will do a a link in the show notes. You got
0: it. We will have a link in the show notes. So if you want... A little audible indication that motivates you to get rid of Google as fast as possible. That's the way to do it. Imagine combining that with a, like, game plan to migrate off Google in one week to
2: just really get you across the finish line. You should treat it maybe like a radar detection tool, you know, where you hear those little beeps and you worry about your safety. (laughs) And then, Brett, we have a feedback
0: uh, item that came in. It's a feedback pick.
1: We do. Josh wrote in and suggested uh, Espanso. I think it's probably the best way to say that. It's an open source text expander that has builds for Windows, Linux, and Mac with Wayland and M1 beta support as well.
0: Get out of here. Whoa.
1: Yeah, I know. As you might have expected, it's also written in Rust.
0: This, oh, are you serious? That's great. So this is really handy because text expander is one of these independent tools on the Mac. I think it's, I don't know. But it, you set a, you type a sequence of characters, you know, like um some sort of short code that you've created, and then it will expand that to like a whole set of predefined text that supports variables and whatnot. Super common for like just doing rapid replies to emails or some sort of repetitive thing that you have to type a lot. You add a short code for it, and then it expands it out into a fuller sentence or whatever it might be. Maybe it's, you want to insert your address or your email address, and you don't want to, have to type it out every single time or a web address, or maybe it's a block of code. And it's a really handy tool. I've tried it. I find it to be really heavy on the Mac and expensive. So I didn't actually, I've never really tried it for a prolonged period of time. But the idea that you can get this working on Wayland is huge because I kind of had given up on this concept. I thought this was going to be something I could only do on X11. So this
2: is a fantastic find. Plus, it looks like it's GPL3. I mean, that's kind of rad. And Rust and Quick and a really slick little website and a nice little repo and seemingly some good docs. What a find this is a treat like pretty often we've
0: heard of the apps that get sent in but oh my gosh and it has packages of course all these things have packages so you can extend it add more stuff shell script support (laughs) form support oh that's nice so you can add you can replace some of the variables oh this is getting installed after the show gentlemen that's what i say (laughs) they've got a tab
2: there's an app image here hey yo
0: Hey, Wes, see if it's in the next package. Repo <laughs> 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 oh, not this problem again. I'm sure it's in the are, dang it. Well, that was great. If you want to send us in something, either a boost or a regular old email, that's just great. You can head over to linuxunplugcom contact. I'm curious to know out there if anybody out there has endless OS in production, or maybe you've deployed it for somebody. If that's you, send us a boost or send us an email and, and let us know how you're using it. I'm trying to get a sense of how well it's known in our audience. I guess on that same token, I would like to know if you'd never heard about it. Let us know that too. I'd like some, just some kind of data points around endless OS and how it's perceived out there or how it's getting used. And if you want to join us live on a Sunday, we do this show over at Jupiter.tube at noon Pacific, 3 PM Eastern. And something that we do for our members at unpluggedcore.com is we record this live stream, which is huge. It's a, uh, like two hours and 20 minutes ish it's getting close to that right now as we go it's just a lot more show we uh we have some stuff we're doing you know we got business we're attending to and you get to listen in on all that see how the podcast sausage is made and we also make an ad free version available as well if you just prefer something short concise and fully produced by our editor drew that's unpluggedcore.com if you'd like to support the show and keep us independent that's like the turkey bacon to the sausage of the full show yeah and uh, you can uh Get the full like what would it be when you could do the Jupiter party? Would that be like the meat pack or what what is that? Like it's a veggie burger stack? Like a full English breakfast? Yeah, get the full English breakfast over at Jupiter.party. Support all the shows, get all
2: the features. You you pick which shows the blood sausage sausage though.
0: That's <laughs> you had to go there, Wes. No, Wes. No. I'm gonna get that visual out of my head think I like mashed potatoes. Maybe one of them is mashed potatoes. Maybe one of them is catfish. I don't know. You let me know. I don't know. Don't miss Linux Action News. That's all I know. That's all I know. LinuxActionNews.com We're covering the stuff that really matters in the world of Linux and open source every single week. We'd love you to catch it. So go grab that. And links to everything we talked about today over at LinuxUnplugged.com slash 473 You get our mumble info, our matrix info, the contact form, all of it over there. And go check out the new site, new.jupiterbroadcasting.com. Let us know what you think. Thanks for joining us. See you right back here next Sunday. Let's talk about that new website. Like, we're down to the final hours. Is it hours? I thought we had days. (laughs) I think you could measure it in actual hours. That's right. It's true. We need a countdown. We
1: need a countdown.
0: (laughs) Some say it is the final countdown. Final countdown.
1: Yeah, I Um, see. We
2: don't have a license for that. Dang it.
1: Well, I could just sing it. It's fine. Um, It's definitely the last kind of week for what we have... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I had it, so I, I had to use it. Well, if you got it.
1: Use it if you got it.
2: Flaunted.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's definitely, we can say it's the last week for our, what we're calling the 1.0 milestone of the website. I think maybe the three of us should have some discussions on whether or not the current website does everything we need on the um, in, as far as the back end goes. But as far as front end, I feel like the new website has gotten really far Chris I know there's a bunch of like features that have been implemented in the last what week or week and a half that have been helping you quite a bit like the uh, peer tube embed and stuff
0: like that that's my favorite one let's be honest there's so much good work going in so I don't want to play favorites I love all my children but how awesome is this so I may have mentioned this already but now when you go to the new new new.jupiterbroadcasting.com site and you click live. That site will auto embed the current live stream from PeerTube. Just automatically gives you the current live stream. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to put embed code in there. It just drops it right in there. No updates, no manual stuff. It's awesome. And it's great because it's a static website too. So you, the way you really have to do that is you'd have to go edit the site, rebuild the site, redeploy the site, right? So it's so nice that it just automatically in, in, you know, embeds and updates. It's coming along. Um I think it's getting really close to a 1.0. I think there's a little few, you know, there's a few things like down here we can still clean up at the bottom and stuff like that, but yeah, there's a
2: bit of bit of stuff to do, but um I feel like the essentials, the important part is like all the yeah, all the bones, right? All the pieces that like are hard to figure out or can it work that way? It seems like that is all resolved and now it's kind of just the the polishing layers.
1: And I want to say a huge kudos to everyone who's been helping on this project. I've been Uh, super impressed with how many people have been involved in the matrix room, but also the number of people who've been committing ideas and changes and opinions and all of that to the project. So thank you to everyone. And I think it's important to say that Kyle Potts uh, put in quite an amazing PR last week and it just got merged, I think a day or two ago. They wrote some end-to-end testing via playwright for the site. And uh, I am still on the very edge of beginning to understand what that means. But I think it, it, it helps us test the the commits that are coming in in a way that uh, emulates browsers. That's going to be super helpful for us not breaking the site in production, which we've done a few times in the last few weeks. So that sounds like an amazing tool. I'm looking forward to learning it. I don't know if either of you played with that. Wes, maybe you have. But uh, we're certainly going to talk
0: more about it in Office Hours this coming Tuesday.
2: Great. office hours dot
0: Hair.